You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you once again for this opportunity to study your word, to believe you, to approach you, and to receive from you. Father, I thank you for all of these precious people on here tonight. Father, we believe to be taught tonight. We believe, Father, to receive from your word. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he is the one that brings light and revelation because he is the teacher. And so we expect to be taught tonight. Father, I pray for every single one of us that we will have ears to hear, eyes to see what you are speaking to us and what your word has for us. And Father, we believe that we'll be changed because of it. And Lord, I thank you that just as James teaches us, we'll not just be hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And we thank you for it. We believe that we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, this is uh, week number two in our series on how to win over worry. And uh, again, this none of this is anything uh, that I have not taught before. Uh, as I study and as I'm, hey, Yvonne, and as I uh, study and prepare, I go through and I just, you know, ask the Lord to bring to, um, you know, the forefront of things that he wants me to share. Uh, and so let's look at some scriptures right off the bat. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Uh, for those of you who are following along on the notes, you have it right there in front of you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. This is a familiar verse I've, I quote it often. This is probably the one verse in the New Testament that emphatically declares uh, how we are made up, how God created us. And so the verse says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, this verse clearly tells us that we are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. So you and I, we are created as a spirit being first. We possess a soul made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And then, of course, we live in a body. And so it is very important when we're talking about worry uh, to understand that you are made up of these three parts. Now, of course, this is applicable to many, many areas, especially, you know, how to be led by the Lord and follow the will of God for your life. But it, you're going to see in just a few moments how important it is to understand this where worry is concerned. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. So go over... Uh, couple of books to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. This is another verse that talks about the three parts of man. It's not quite as cut and dry as 1 Thessalonians 5.23, but it does uh, speak about it. So Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. So you see there, you have soul, spirit, and the body, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is the only thing that we have in our possession that can split spirit, soul, and body. It's the only thing that can discern between the three, draw lines between the three. And um, I love the fact that the verse ends, it is, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, if, if you need to measure something that's going on in your heart, measure it according, according to the word of God. So again, just to review, we are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. Now, I know, you know, uh, ministers will refer to uh, souls being saved and those types of things. I don't have time to get into all that tonight, but uh, where that comes from, James chapter 1 uh, is actually referring to uh, the spirit of man because the spirit of man is born again when we receive Christ, but our souls are saved as we walk with God and renew our minds to the, to the will and the word of God. And so that is how your mind is renewed. So again, you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. All right, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Again, all familiar scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Paul says, if any man is in Christ, in other words, if any man has been born again, has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then the scripture says he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, you know, going to uh, what we were talking about earlier, you know, how many of you know that if before you got saved, if you were bald, uh, you were bald after you got saved, okay? Uh, you know, so what that, my point in saying that is this, it's not our bodies that gets changed when we're born again. And as we already said, we renew our minds with the word of God. So our souls are converted or saved after we're born again. So when we are born again, according to this verse, the part of us that becomes a new creation is our spirits. Now, I don't fully understand how God does it. He, I don't necessarily need to. Maybe when I get to heaven, I will. But the moment that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, supernaturally, that old dead spirit that was on the inside of us is removed, completely eradicated, and a brand new spirit is breathed onto the inside of us by the Holy Spirit. So our spirit is recreated. It's made brand new by the Holy Spirit. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. Okay. So again, we are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. By the way, that's true whether you're born again or not. Uh, you, I'll say this to you. You are an eternal being whether you are born again or not. Okay? I know, uh, you know, some people uh, will make a statement, you know, that um, if somebody passes or something like that, that 
they stepped over or they uh, became eternal or something like that. No, we're eternal just in the state that we are, whether we're saved or unsaved. And of course, your eternal destiny is shaped and determined by the decisions that you make in this life. So again, when we're born again, our spirit is what is made new. Our spirit is what is recreated. And then let's go over to 1 John chapter 4, the, the epistle of John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and let's look at verse 15. 1 John 4, 15. Okay. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 says this, and I'm going to read it from the New Living. It says, all who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, or in other words, if you've been born again, you have God living in you and you live in God. Okay. So, and, and I'm, I'm going over this in such detail on purpose. So again, we are a spirit, we have a soul and we live in a body. When we're born again, our spirits are what are recreated. And then at the same time that we got born again, the Bible says that God moved in on the inside of us uh, by the Holy Spirit, and then, of course, we are in Him. So, uh, as you are probably well aware, you know, God did not move inside my body. God did not move inside my mind. He moved inside my spirit, my recreated spirit. So, my spirit is the place where God lives and dwells, okay? So, the spirit of man is the eternal part of us, and uh, as Brother Hagin said a long time ago, it's the part of us that makes contact with God. You don't make contact with God in your head. You don't make co contact with God per se in your body. You make contact with God in your spirit. Jesus said in John chapter four that, that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So our, all of our contact with God happens spiritually. Okay, now there are times, and I've experienced this, when the Lord has spoken to me by the Holy Spirit, by the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it has seemed like it was audible, naturally speaking, but it wasn't. It was. It came up out of my spirit, but it seemed that real to me. And so God speaks to us. God ministers to us out of our recreated spirit. Okay, so the first point I want to make is this. The spirit of man is where God lives, and this is where he speaks to us. The spirit of man is where God lives, and this is where he speaks to us. This is where the Holy Spirit brings revelation to us. When we see things in the word of God and all of a sudden the light comes on, it, that came up out of your spirit because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. So when God ministers to us, when God speaks to us, when he uh, leads and guides us, all of that happens in our spirits. What happens then is your spirit brings that up into your thinking, up out of your spirit or your heart. Sometimes the Bible uses that interchangeably. And so this is where we receive revelation and insight. Okay, now go back with me to the Old Testament to Proverbs chapter four, please. Proverbs chapter four. Somebody said, where's it? Where, where's he going with all this? Just follow along. You'll be okay. 
All right. Proverbs chapter 4, and let's look at verse 23. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a little bit of insight into this, <clears throat> of course, by the Holy Spirit. But Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. He said, keep, or another word is guard, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of your heart, spring the issues of life. Now, if you look it up in the Hebrew dictionary, the word issues there means the resources of your life, the outflow of your life. So up out of your heart, up out of your spirit flows the resources of your life. Now, one thing that's interesting about the, the phrase guard your heart or keep your heart, the picture that is painted there is um anybody ever seen an old-timey well you know maybe on a farm or something where people would draw water from it uh what was what was the picture like somebody describe it to me you, you mean lower the bucket and... yeah but what show me how it was built oh a brick wall yeah a brick wall around it mm -hmm. why was that wall put around that well Keep falling in. Yeah, to keep people from falling in, keep other stuff from falling in. In mm -hmm. other words, it was designed to protect the contents of that well. You know, mm -hmm. if an animal fell in that well and drowned down there, that water would be ruined because of the poison that would come as that as that animal decomposes and so forth. Matter mm -hmm. of fact, um, in the the old days out west, a lot of times. Uh, the Native Americans, if they were fighting against, um, you know, the the settlers out there, if if they wanted to retaliate against, they would put uh, dead animals in their wells in, in order to uh, stop their water and to poison them. So, you know, it's very dangerous. So my point is this, the phrase guard your heart or keep your heart, the picture that you need to have in your mind is you need to carefully uh build a wall to protect the heart of your spirit, the heart or, or the well of your heart rather, so that things that are, will intoxicate it uh, cannot get into it. In other words, things that would have a potential of, of ruining the resources of your life, you need to, and I love the fact that he says, keep your heart with all diligence. You know, it's not something we haphazardly do. Solomon said to do it with all diligence, meaning that it is something that needs to be very, very important to us. So you need to be sure that you protect what goes in to your heart, what gets sown into your heart through whatever means, because out of that determines the outflow of your life. Proverbs 4.23 in the New Living says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In the easy-to-read version, it says, and I like this too, above all, be careful what you think because your thoughts control your life, okay? Mm. So very, very important that we protect that. Now, you're there in Proverbs. Go over to the 20th chapter of Proverbs, the 20th chapter of Proverbs, <clears throat> and look at the 27th first, Proverbs 20, 27. Somebody tell me while you're flipping to that, where, where does God live? In us. Heaven. 
In your well, in heaven, yes, but where does he also live? In your spirit. In your spirit. In That's right. Mm -hmm. In us. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So Proverbs 20, verse 27. And that's something, you know, I'm, I'm laughing, but that's something that is absolutely cool about God is the fact that he can be in heaven and he can also be in us by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So that's what makes him God, by the way. Proverbs 20, 27 says this, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart. You know, if we were going to say, uh, bring it up to modern terms, we would say the spirit of a man is the light or light bulb. Okay. Somebody tell me, what is a lamp or a light bulb or uh, something of that nature, a flashlight? What is it designed to do? To give sight. Bring light. Yeah. So you can see where you're going, see what's ahead of you. Uh, illuminate things. Okay. So what Solomon is telling us again by the Holy Ghost is that the spirit of man is where light from the Lord is going to show up. Okay. So if God is going to bring light to us, it is going to come in our spirits. All right. So I, I want you to clearly understand that. So the spirit of man, now get this, this is very, very important. The spirit of man is the place from which answers from the Lord come. God is not going to, particularly in the New Testament, in the, the church age, is not going to lead and guide and minister to you externally. He's going to minister to you in your spirit. Now, there might be some circumstances that confirm what's in your spirit, but God has designed for us as, as New Testament believers to be led by him as he brings light into our spirits. Okay. Now the spirit of man is the place from which answers from the Lord come. It is the place where he reveals his solutions to us. So let's say uh, you're praying and, you know, according to James chapter 1, you need wisdom from God. So the Bible says in James 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. So uh, if we're needing wisdom from God, where is God going to reveal that wisdom to us? In our spirits. Okay. Now here's, here's a challenge or, or a problem, if you will. A lot of Christians don't know what I have just shared with you in the first 10 minutes of this Bible study. And what they do is endeavor to be led by the Lord by what they see out here in the natural, what they see in their circumstances. I remember when I was a kid, I had a man who was mentoring me. And I mean, he meant well, I'm not knocking him at all. But, you know, I was praying and I was trying to determine the will of God for my life in some areas. And so he shared with me this, and it was regarding a particular direction that I needed to go. And he said, he said this, he said, what you need to do is when doors are presented to you, is you try the door and whichever door opens up for you, that is the will of God for your life. And so implying that, okay, let's say I have three or four opportunities ahead of me and, uh, 
one or none of them is the will of God for my life. So what I need to do is I need to try all those doors and whichever one opens up is the one that the Lord has for me. And unfortunately, uh, people have made grave mistakes doing that because God does not lead us that way. And here, let me say this to you. The problem with that is the devil can open and close doors for you as well. All right. So what we need to do is we need to learn to look to our spirits for wisdom, for insight, for revelation that we need from God so that because that's where it's going to come from. That is where he lives. That is where he dwells. And so he is not going to minister out here first and then speak to us here. He's going to start here. Now, he may lead someone to come tell you something to confirm what you know in your heart, okay? Or there might be some circumstances that begin to line up, but it always should be in line with what's in your spirit first. It should always confirm what you have in your spirit first, okay? Now, let's talk about um, your mind, all right? So that's your spirit. God dwells in your spirit. Again, you are a spirit. You possess a soul with your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a body. So let's talk about the mind for just a moment, okay? Now, how many of you are, are sharp enough to know that worry does not come out of your spirit, right? Okay. Where does worry take place? In the mind. In your mind, okay? All right, so your mind is an awesome thing. It is something, it's, a, it, it, it's something that God has blessed us with. Um, you know, and I'm talking about your intellect. I'm not talking about your physical brain per se, uh, because your mind and your brain are two different things. Um, your mind is attached and it is part of your soul, okay? Your physical brain, um, in other words, your mind can stay intact without your brain functioning. All right. Somebody said, well, you know, I don't have time to get into it, but do you remember the story where Jesus gave us about the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man that was laid at the rich man's gate that begged daily? The Bible says the rich man died. And uh, when he was in uh, hell, the Bible says he looked up and he recognized Lazarus who died as well. He recognized Abraham. He told, uh, asked Abraham to send Lazarus to talk to his brothers and preach the gospel to him, et cetera, et cetera. Point being is that man's brain, the physical organ, was buried and in the ground, but his mind was still very much intact, uh, separate from that physical organ. Okay, so I, I want you to be able to see the difference. Now, your mind, and, and Alan is in education. He can he can verify this as well. But your mind can only uh, give you what you put in it, all right? Your mind can only give out what you put in it. So, you know, in, in, in school, many of you um, remember school. It, for me, it was just a couple of years ago that I was in high school. And uh, so anyway, and so, you know, the, the, the thing that let me illustrate it this way. Anybody ever, when you were in school, you forgot about a test and you didn't study for it. You show up to class and that test was given. Um, 
how do you how did you do on that test without studying i'll answer it for you probably not very well okay unless you paid real close attention in class but uh, the human mind is only designed to uh regurgitate if you will bring up again what is put down into it what is put into it okay so if you do not put certain information into your mind your mind can never retrieve that information all right now pay attention even in remembering things your mind doesn't do it right a hundred percent of the time okay uh you know there are things that uh i can remember and you know somebody else in conversation might remember it's uh just a little different even though we both were there and we both experienced the same thing well it's not that both of us are wrong it's just that our mind is not recalling exactly the same way the circumstances that we were both exposed to okay now why am i saying this to you okay here's what worry is all right get this if you don't get anything else out of this lesson tonight get this this sentence right here and i'm gonna say it two or three times so you can get it worry and anxiety is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of your human mind. I'll say it again. Worry and anxiety, which go hand in hand, by the way, is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of your human mind. I'll say it one more time. Worry and anxiety is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of your human mind. Anybody need it one more time? Okay, everybody got it? Okay, so what am I saying? Let me illustrate it. Let's say you're facing a situation in your life, and I'm talking about it as a believer. You're facing a situation in your life, a need has arisen, a crisis, whatever the case might be, and you have never encountered this situation before, all right? And you do not know what to do, all right? You don't know what the answer is. The need is greater than, than you know, you can, you can handle or you have the resources to handle. So you do not know what to do about this situation. Well, here's what your mind starts to do. Your mind starts <laughs> to look for answers in your mind and if you have never experienced that problem before there is no information stored there in order to provide a solution for you okay does that make sense to you okay mm -hmm. so your mind automatically goes into this overdrive where it starts hashing over the same situation over and over and over again almost stuck in a loop trying to figure out an answer or a solution to your problem. Okay. Now here's the thing. If there is an answer that you need and your mind has never known the answer, then you will never be able to recall or get that answer out of your mind. Okay. So that's why, um, anybody ever been wakened in the middle of the night, worried about a situation. Okay. 
And your yes. mind is just going 90 miles an hour trying to figure out what do I do? What am I going to say? You know, how am I going to handle that situation? Okay. There are just some things that your mind is not going to be able to give you. All right. Now, um, just make a note of this scripture, Proverbs 16 and verse 1. Proverbs 16 and verse 1. We can make our own plans, the Bible says, but the Lord gives the right answer. So as a believer, let's forget about people that don't know the Lord for a little while. Just focus on us as believers. So when you and I encounter a situation and we are going over and over and over that situation in our minds, the answer is not going to be in your mind. If the answer is going to come from the Lord, then where is that answer? Somebody tell me. In your spirit. In your spirit. All right. So if you face a new problem, then the answer is going to have to come from the Lord. Plain and simple. All right. If you are needing wisdom, if you're needing a solution, if you're needing an answer, then that answer is going to have to come from the Lord. Now, just a little side note. Um, if you have encountered a situation like that before, all right, and this is where it's very important for us to get the wisdom of God, um, what your mind will do, even as a believer, will rever revert back to what you did last time. Okay? Now, the challenge with that could be that God wants you to do it differently this time. You know, a case in point, in the Old Testament, there was a situation before David became king, you know, when he was running from Saul and the 300 men that were with him. You remember uh, the Philistines came and, and uh, overran his camp while they were away and took all the women, the children, and all of their possessions and everything. And so they came back to the camp, found everybody gone, the men were all terribly upset. They were mad at David. And so David went and, and prayed about it and said, Lord, what do I do? And shall I go up after them? And the Lord said, yes, go up after them and retrieve all. This is where we get the, the scripture about he's the Lord of the breakthrough. Okay. And mm -hmm. so David did. He, he and his 300 men, they went, they got their, all their wives and children and all their possessions back. And God gave them a great victory. Well, not a short time after that, the Philistines came and did basically the same thing again. And so if David's mind, I'm sure, said this, well, you know what you did last time is ABC, okay? But David had enough sense to go to God and say, okay, God, uh, shall we go up and overtake them? And God said, no. Uh, I want you to go at it a different way. And if you read the story, the Bible says that God sent them around to the backside through the, the forest, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. the, the wilderness to capture these people. And what God did is he caused uh, the wind to blow in such a way that the Philistines thought this great army was coming after them and they fled. So here's my point. If David had automatically assumed that the last way we did it is the right way, then they would have been defeated. So it's very, very important, just a side note, that if you face the same crisis again, you know, multiple times or, or two times, whatever, 
Seek the wisdom of God because he may want you to go about it differently. Now, here's the thing. His objective will always bring to, to, to bring you victory, but he might want to do it another way. So don't automatically resort to what you did last time. Now, the word is the word. The word doesn't change. So there are things that we do in standing in faith on the word of God that we consistently do, no matter what the crisis is. But there might be some actions that we need to take that could be different. And we need the wisdom of God where that's concerned. Okay. So when, let's talk, go back to worry. When you're searching for the answer in your mind by going over and over the problem to look for the solution, you only cause yourself more anxiety and frustration. Okay. Hashing over it again and again and again. This is what causes anxiety. This is what causes great frustration in, uh, in us. Okay. And here's the danger is not allowing your mind to go down every rabbit trail that it wants to go down. Okay. You know, our minds have a tendency that said, well, you know, if this happens, I'll do this. And then we go down that rabbit trail. Or if this happens, then I'll go over here and I'll do this. And, and, and you know, we just got all this stuff going on and it's going on in our minds. And the Bible says or teaches us that this is where confusion comes from. You know, you might have been in this situation. I, I probably said it myself. And, you know, I'm just confused. I don't know what to do. Well, the reason that you're confused is because you've allowed your mind to go down all these rabbit trails and now you don't know which one is the right one to go or if it is the right one to go or or what the case is okay if you look it up in the dictionary the word confusion means this a lack of clarity or distinction okay in other words you don't have a clear answer you don't have a clear direction first corinthians 14 verse 33 tells us this for god is not the author of confusion in other words god is all about giving you clarity specific direction distinct instructions and he will give you whatever you need in order to start the process of bringing you out of that situation but if you choose to hash over it and over it and over it you're only opening yourself up to more anxiety more worry and then confusion okay now let's talk about another reason worry comes so the first reason is you know pursuing the wisdom of god through natural means or trying to figure it out in our heads without acknowledging and even recognizing the fact that the one who holds the answer lives and dwells in our spirits and, and i'll say this to you um you don't need a hundred answers you just need one now, here's the cool thing about God. He's got a million ways to get you out of that situation. All you need is one. So what we've got to learn to do is look to him in our spirits and believe God to minister to our spirits what the answer is for that situation. Don't let your external circumstances be the first thing you, you revert to. No, let the word of God and what God speaks to you by the Holy Spirit in your spirit be the first thing, all right? So that's, that's one, one reason we get over into worry. Let's go over to Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter, please. Is this helping you so far? 
Amen. All right, Luke chapter 24, and let's look at verses 1 through 4. Now, we're going to look at a situation that happened, all right, and we're going to find out some things. How many of you know, what do I say, pay attention to? Detail. The details, that's right, okay? So Luke 24, verse 1, now this is um, the sabbath day this or this is sunday morning after jesus has died on the cross and he's been buried so uh luke 24 verse 1 now on the first day of the week very early in the morning they and certain other women with them so uh mary the two marys went and came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now we know that those two men weren't men at all. They were angels that that appeared to them. But I want you to see something. And it happened, verse 4 says, as they were greatly perplexed about this. So what happened? They entered the tomb and they did not see Jesus' body there. Now, some of them were actually involved in the process of taking Jesus off of the cross, wrapping his body in linen, and putting it in this tomb Friday night. So this is Sunday morning. So what their expectation was, okay, we're going to walk into the tomb and find exactly what we left when we left there Friday night. So when they get back there Sunday morning and they don't find Jesus' body there, the Bible says they're perplexed. Now, the word perplexed there actually means they were greatly troubled. We could say they were greatly worried or anxious about what was going on. Okay. Now, why was it that they were worried? It's because they were believing the wrong thing. Okay, so another source of worry is believing the wrong thing. All right, believing what they saw versus what Jesus had said to them. Now, they believed incorrectly that Jesus was dead. Why? Because their five physical senses told them, we laid him in this tomb just two days ago. All right, mm-hmm. we saw him there. We, we, you know, started to prepare him for burial. And then we ran out of time because of the Sabbath. And so they saw his bloodied, beaten, and mutilated body placed in the tomb. And then they had to go and sit on that for a period of time. And that's the picture that they had in their thinking when they left there and that had they had rested on the last time that they experienced that. So I, you know, I, I, I want to bring out those details because a lot of times we're hard on these folks if we don't, we don't realize a lot of what they were going through, we go through, okay? So again, their situation was this, their Lord, the one they thought was going to be the Messiah, the one that, that they thought was the answer to everything that they had been praying and believing for, they watched him die, that horrible death on the cross, In the evening, they took his body down. They prepared him somewhat for burial, laid him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They they rolled the stone in there until they could come back after the Sabbath was over. 
So in their minds, the picture that they had was those circumstances that they saw. So let's go on and let's see what happened. So verse 5, then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. Now, the reason they saw these angels and the angels said to them, now pay attention to this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. All right, now, the angels began to bring these women out of this worried, perplexed, anxious state. How? How do they do it? They remind them of what Jesus said. All right, let me say it to you another way. They began to bring them out of this worried state by reminding them what the Word said. Okay? Now, let me remind you of what the Word says. Don't turn there. Just make a, a note. Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Verse 34, But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Now, it never said that Jesus hid those things from them. It just says that their minds would not accept what Jesus was telling them. I went through the Gospels one time, and I believe I counted six times that Jesus told them, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed. He'll be arrested. He'll be beaten, uh, spit upon, cursed at, so forth and so on. He'll die but on the third day he will rise again all right so jesus made a definite point to tell his disciples exactly how that thing was going to play out what the scenario was um you know and how the circumstances were going to play out how do i know that he talked about it so much well let me ask you a question do you remember how the religious leaders what they did after Jesus was laid in that tomb, do you remember what they did? What did they do? Posted guards. They posted went, guards. They, huh? Say it again, Matt. They posted guards. Yeah, they went and requested from the Roman uh, governor that guards be placed at Jesus' tomb. Here's my point. The religious heathen believed what Jesus said more than his own disciples did. Okay. They believed that, uh, you know, hey, this guy, he's done some pretty incredible stuff. So, hey, I wouldn't put it past him. So let's just be safe instead of sorry. And let's have some guards posted there at the tomb. So just in case he does get resurrected and or his disciples come and take his body and then claim he was resurrected. All right. So um, but his own disciples forgot what he said. And it never really registered to them what he was saying. All right, so here, here's a point. When you forget the word that you have heard, 
and you don't do it, you fall into misbelief and begin to believe the wrong things. Okay, let me say it to you again. When you forget the word that you've heard and don't do it, you fall into a misbelief and believe the wrong things. What were the disciples believing at this point? That Jesus was dead. He was buried. He was gone. It was over. All right. However, Jesus had said time and time again, all right, uh, listen, this is what, how it's going to play out. But on the third day, I'm going to, I'm going to be raised from the dead. All right. Now, when you are believing the wrong thing, you're going to find yourself just like those disciples. You will be filled with worry and anxiety. Okay, I'm going to say that again. When you are believing the wrong thing, you're going to find yourself in the same situation that those disciples were filled with anxiety. You're going to be worried. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to think life is over, that there's no hope for my situation, etc., etc. Okay? Now, again, Luke 18, verse 33, Jesus, and this is one example, Jesus clearly said, they will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. All right? Jesus explicitly said that, but let me ask you a question. How many disciples were waiting at the tomb on the third day for him to get up? None. None of them. Why? Because they forgot what they heard, and they were believing the wrong thing. Now, to their defense, okay, because again, we do the same thing. What were they believing? They were believing what they saw. They saw his body taken off the cross. They saw he was dead. They saw the condition of his body, and they saw him get buried. Temporarily, albeit, but they saw him get <laughs> laid in the tomb. All right, so they were being convinced by what they saw in those natural circumstances, and that overrode what they were told by the Lord themselves, all right? So let's in, uh, look at verse 9 in Luke 24. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, jo Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. Wow. Here they, they did not believe what Jesus said. Now the women have had an angelic visitation where the angels told them clearly, hey, he is not here. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's arisen, just as he said. And the, the, the disciples, the rest of the disciples said, y'all are making this up, all right? These are just idle fables, tales, Okay, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So here they are in doubt because they do not remember what Jesus said, nor do they believe what the women told them. Now I want to quickly uh, continue on, and there's a story here about the disciples on the Emmaus Road. I love this story, okay? because it is absolutely uh, pertinent to dealing with worry. Now, let me ask you a question. When the women entered the tomb, they did not find Jesus, but saw the angels there. 
Again, what is it that the angels began to do to minister to them, to bring them out of this worried, anxious state that they were in because they didn't believe what Jesus said? What did they do? They put them in remembrance of the word. They reminded them of what the word said. In this case, what came directly out of the mouth of Jesus. All right. So let's go. Verse 13. I'm going to do a lot of reading, but we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, verse 13, now behold, two of them, these were two of the disciples, traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now, <clears throat> there's a very important reason that verse 16, Jesus did what he did when it says he restrained their eyes so that they physically could not recognize him. All right. We'll just make a mental note of that. And we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 17, what kind of conversation is this? Verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? All right. Um, and he said to them, now I want to pause here. Let me ask you a question. Do you think they were a little worried? Yes. And anxious, disappointed, mm -hmm. frustrated. I mean, it's clear, you know, by the way they respond to him. Hey man, where have you been that you don't know what all's happened? This guy that we thought was the Messiah. Okay. We found out he's not according to what they saw. All right. And uh, he said to them, verse 19, what things? So they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Okay, so verse 21 clearly says all our dreams were dashed because we thought he was the one. And so what had happened is they saw him die. They saw his body placed in the tomb. And so their belief was based on what they saw and experienced in the natural. Okay, um, verse 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ, the anointed one, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, let me ask you a question. What did Jesus do? All right. Because he could have said and opened their eyes and they could have seen that it was him. No, what he did is he took them back to the word and apparently they walked for a long time and he was able to cover from the Old Testament law all the way through the prophets, 
all of the word that described him and what he was going to accomplish. So again, just like the angels did for those women, Jesus went to work with these disciples, bringing them out of that hopeless, depressed, worried state by reminding them of what the word said. Okay, so again, verse 28, but then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and then he vanished from their sight. Now, <clears throat> what is it that they saw that caused the revelation to come? <clears throat> when he broke the bread like he did that night at Passover? Well, he broke the bread, <clears throat> but what would they have seen when, they, when he broke the bread? His hands. His yeah. hands. They the would have food. seen the scars okay in the moment that they saw the scars he revealed himself as to who he was and then he vanished okay now why didn't he do that when he walked up to them he could have said hey fellas you know he was on the road with them yeah look at my feet he could have done like he did thomas hey look at the the wound in my side look at my hands you know touch me handle me and see okay why didn't he do that? Because he wanted to bring them back to a place of faith with the word and not natural exposure, natural revelation. Okay? And this is the way he's going to minister to you, to bring you out of that worried state, to bring you out of that anxious state, is the Holy Ghost is always going to take you back to the word. He is always going to remind you of the word that God has ministered to you. He's always going to remind you of what you have heard from previous sermons and messages or whatever he needs to do. He is going to remind you of those things to bring you out of that worry, out of that anxiety. Okay, so again, their eyes were open and they knew him, verse 31, and he vanished from their sight. And I love what they said in verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Why didn't they say this? You know, man, my heart just burned when he walked up to us. My heart just burned when he, when he was asking us those questions. No, their spirits came alive when he began to reveal the word to them. Okay, very, very important. So again, they rose up, went back to Jerusalem and found the 11 disciples and told them everything that had happened. Okay, so before you ever receive a manifestation from God, you must first receive and believe his word. Jesus will always bring you back to the word, not the manifestation. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Jesus will always bring you back to the word, not the manifestation. Okay, 
uh, worry. Now, let me go through this process real quick. Worry is a direct result of wrong belief. We believe the wrong things because of wrong thinking. We have wrong thinking because we've been receiving the wrong information. Think about the, the disciples for just a minute. What was the information that they received? Well, Jesus is dead. We saw him die. Valid information at the time uh, in the natural, but totally forgetting what Jesus had said. Okay. And again, you know, I'm not knocking them because we do the very same thing. And listen, let me say this to you. The words that Jesus spoke to them about rising on the third day are no more valid than what he promises us in this book. Okay. So you and I do the same thing all the time. We forget what the written word of God says. And so therefore we get over into that anxious, worried state. Okay. Now, um, I'll just wrap it up. I'm out of time, but I'll just wrap it up saying this, that we've got to take God's word and, and change our thinking and our believing in order to eliminate worry and anxiety in our lives. Now, I, I want to say this. I am not implying that you will not be tempted to worry, but being tempted to worry and worrying are two different things, just like being tempted to sin and sinning are two different things, okay? It's what you do with those worried, anxious thoughts that makes the difference. And we'll talk more about that as we get into some real practical stuff. So worry comes as you go over and over and over the problem in your mind, trying to find the answer and solution when the answer and the solution is in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. And then we, we bring about worry and anxiety in our lives because we believe the wrong things. Okay. Now, I, I want to say this to you. You know, if you think about it, you can't get any more absolute than someone's dead in the natural. Okay. I mean, you're talking about some bad circumstances. I've had some tough circumstances, but I'm, I don't know that I've ever had it that tough where something I was believing died in the sense of, you know, everything I'd placed my hope in, okay, and I witnessed it, all right, but anyway, my point is this, uh, they were dealing with a lot in the natural, but again, I want you to remember, the Holy Ghost will always bring you back to the Word of God before He brings about the manifestation, because if He doesn't do it that way, your faith will be in the manifestation, not in the Word. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.